When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seventy, The Millennial Apocalypse The End of the World A Final Battle Between Good and Evil A Cataclysm of Unprecedented Violence That Ultimately Results in the End of All Sorrow And the Renewal of Humanity and the Cosmos Doomsday, The Day of Judgment, Frashokareti, Ragnarok are all part of a literary topos that is the logical conclusion of a basic human desire that the never-ending battles, conflict, struggle, and suffering that make up life will come to an ultimate end and peace will reign. Given the violence and uncertainty our ancestors endured, it's no wonder they pine for a day of pure harmony. It is also not surprising that they could never imagine ultimate peace occurring without the ultimate conflict. To travel to paradise was to walk through a veil of tears. In Christianity, the end of the world is called apocalypse, a Greek word meaning revelation, the last revelation of God as revealed in the book of Revelation. Yet, in common parlance, apocalypse means the violent end of all things, an understandable misreading given just how tumultuous the Bible depicts the end of the world. In Christian eschatology, a branch of theology dealing with the end of the world, the beast of the earth, commonly referred to as Antichrist, will seize dominion of the world. A final war ensues, after which Christ will return to rule over a thousand-year millennial kingdom, before a new heaven and earth are created. The very first Christians in the late 1st and early 2nd centuries believed that Jesus would return in their lifetimes. This belief remained prevalent throughout the Christian persecutions, but it fell off dramatically after the Roman Empire converted to Christianity. The reasons for this theological change were understandable. First, it had been centuries since the life of Jesus of Nazareth, so people became more hesitant to predict his return. Second, the Christian leaders of the Roman Empire downplayed apocalypticism because it threatened their power. As historian Richard Landis argues, the belief that the corrupt and evil world leaders will get their comeuppance and the oppressed will be uplifted makes eschatology a naturally rebellious form of theology. Leading scholars, among them St. Augustine, dismissed apocalyptic predictions as crankery at best, heresy at worst. At one point, Greek theologians even tried to remove the book of Revelation from the biblical canon, which is a pretty audacious thing to do since the last chapter of Revelation states, 
For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I'm not going to lie. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. And the fact that Revelation implies that a person can be damned for changing its words is pretty scary. Apparently, Greek thinkers were unperturbed. Yet, no matter how much established figures naysayed the imminent coming of Judgment Day, anti-establishment figures and mystics predicted the end was nigh, and during times of war, famine, and epidemic disease, their words could spur popular rebellion. Apocalypticism was at a low point during the Carolingian era, but by the end of the 10th century, it experienced a marked revival in France. Commoners saw horrors and strange signs all around them, which they believed, or hoped, heralded the return of Christ. There were many reasons why this occurred, the first of which was that many people believed that the year 1000 held special significance. 1000 is an important number in Christianity, especially in reference to eschatology. Many Christians at the time looked to the thousand-year anniversary of Christ's birth as a natural starting point for the end of the world. Second, Christendom was under invasion from non-believers. Muslims threatened the southeastern frontier and, until 972, even set up their own state in Provence centered around Fraxinetum, whose Mujahideen regularly attacked holy sites and religious figures across Europe. Viking pagans conquered much of northern France and raided downriver. From the east came marauding shamanistic Magyar horsemen. The Bishop of Auxerre lamented the superstitious belief of his flock, who claimed that the Viking and Magyar attacks were by Gog and Magog, two entities mentioned in the Book of Revelation, who launch a final assault on the faithful. Third, violence within France seemingly increased. The failure of the Carolingian house meant that the kingdom devolved into largely autonomous duchies and counties whose magnates regularly fought with each other. Constant low-level fighting between Christians wearied the populace. Fourth, the end of the Carolingians and their replacement by the Capetians troubled many, who saw the new dynasty as usurpers. Fifth, there were a number of strange events recorded during this period. Abbo of Fleuret reported that fires from heaven appeared across the kingdom, and people reported sightings of demons. In 989, Halley's Comet blazed in the night sky something which only happens every 75 years. As is natural with anxiety, anxiety about one thing spurred anxiety about another. Fears about local violence led to exaggerated worries about countrywide instability. Reports of miraculous occurrences in one area led to talk of the supernatural in another. Peasants might explain a bad harvest as God's displeasure, which they naturally blamed on corrupt leaders, which combined with stories of demonic sightings, led to belief that the realm was cursed. By the mid-10th century, 
Abbot Adso of montier en wrote an incredibly influential book on the Antichrist, fueling widespread beliefs in the region that the end of the world was nigh. Most high-ranking priests dismissed apocalyptic fears as peasant superstition incited by heretical lunatics. Yet some priests and monks occasionally did believe that Judgment Day was fast approaching. The most famous source on this was Abo, abbot of Saint Benoit of fleury sur loire In a letter translated by Richard Landis, he writes, Concerning the end of the world, as a youth, I heard a sermon preached to the people in the Paris church to the effect that as soon as the number of 1,000 years was completed, Antichrist would arrive, and not long after, the last judgment would follow. I resisted as vigorously as I could to that preaching, citing the Gospels, Revelation, and Daniel. Then my abbot Rishach, of blessed memory and keen mind, rejected another error that grew about the end of the world, and after he received correspondence from Lotharingians, he ordered me to answer. For a rumor had filled almost the entire world that when the Annunciation fell on Good Friday, without any question, it would be the end of the world." Here, Abbo records that a priest within an established church in Paris preached that the apocalypse was approaching, a remarkable thing given that the Catholic Church opposed such teachings. It is doubly shocking given that the priest in question spoke to the public rather than debate eschatology privately with other priests. Thus, it is probable that belief in apocalypse was widespread, even if the majority of French people did not believe or even regularly talk about the end of the world, there were adherents to eschatological tenets across the kingdom. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another prediction that Abel mentioned was that the world would end on the 25th of March. This was when the Annunciation coincided with Good Friday, something which occurred every 11 years. Relevant to our time period, that would be 970, 981, 992, 1003, 1014, 1025, and 1036. Each time this date passed, it caused an apocalyptic panic. That might surprise some of you rationalists who ask, why would people who thought the world would end in 970 realize it was wrong later on, then look forward to the world ending in 981, then when that didn't happen, they look forward to 992. The answer is that just because something is factually wrong does not mean people stop believing in it. Humans typically believe things out of desire rather than reason. Even when those beliefs are provably false, people usually become more entrenched in their beliefs. The apocalypse is no exception. When one supposed apocalyptic date passed, many simply looked forward to the next one. Here it's worth noting that our ancestors were not any less rational than modern humans. 
By point of comparison, in the early 1840s in the United States, a large group of Christians heard Pastor William Miller predict that the world would end on the 22nd of October, 1844, based on his reading of the Book of Daniel. Thousands of people believed him, some selling everything they had in preparation for the end. But the world did not end, much to the woe of the Millerites, who referred to that day as the Great Disappointment, because they had been so looking forward to it. Yet Miller's movement did not die. His followers adjusted their beliefs, claiming that the world entered into a new period and that the end was not physical, but spiritual. This movement eventually became the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a religious group that today has roughly 22 million members and is perhaps the fastest-growing denomination within Christianity and among the fastest-growing religious groups in the world. I could, of course, point to other failed predictors of apocalypse, such as Heaven's Gate or the Year 2000 conspiracies. Many, including Star Wars creator George Lucas, worried that the world would end in 2012 because the Mayan calendar ended on that date, and Roland Emmerich even made a terrible disaster movie called 2012 about just that. Never mind that the Mayan calendar did not end because of any apocalyptic predictions, and in fact ended because the Spanish conquistadors conquered them and persecuted their non-Christian beliefs. Apologies for this diversion, but I think it's worth remembering that we are, unfortunately, not usually more rational than our predecessors. As France neared the millennium, kingly troubles exacerbated anxieties. Robert II married his cousin Bertha, leading to the papacy threatening to excommunicate him in 998. The idea that their king would be denied communion and condemned to hellfire unless he repented frightened devout Christians. While the church opposed apocalypticism, their attempts to suppress these beliefs had mixed results. One problem stemmed from the Bible's claim that in the end days, there will be many false prophets. Rudolphus Glaber, a monk of Cluny, claimed that the church, condemning so many as heretics for believing in eminent apocalypse, was itself a sign of eminent apocalypse. Eschatological fears crescendoed in the year 1000. People reported unprecedented earthquakes. Pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem in greater numbers. Some sold their belongings. Yet that year passed, and the world did not end. Still, that did not dismay the doomsayers, who saw even more signs of the end. Landis records that the years after 1000 are unusually rich in distinctly apocalyptic incidents, and in 1009-14, more prodigies and disasters, a reign of blood, and the slaughter of Jews in response to Al-Hakim's destruction of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Even after 1000, Rudolphus and others simply believed the end was coming at a different date. He first justified an extension by claiming if the Antichrist was released in 1000, then he would be defeated three and a half years later. When 1003 came and went, others predicted that the end would occur 1000 years after Christ's death in the year 32, rather than his birth. 
Meanwhile, each passing of the 25th of March, when Good Friday and Annunciation coincided, brought with them renewed worries. In 1028, accounts tell of a reign of blood in Aquitaine, which was so widely believed that Duke Guillaume V of Aquitaine, King Robert II, and leading bishops and abbots sent letters to each other on the matter. The years 1030 to 1032 witnessed horrendous famines. Many believers held that this was when the world would finally end, and there were mass pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Yet the world did not end. Good harvests returned in 1033. Robert expanded his power in France and brought more order to the country. The Norsemen largely abandoned their raiding and became the Normans, living similar lives to their French counterparts. The Magyar invasions ended. All Andalus fell to civil war and collapsed in 1031, while Christians in the north seized more territory, securing France's southwestern border. King Robert had abandoned Bertha in the early 1000s and revived his reputation for piety. Meanwhile, he burned heretics in his capital of Orléans and oppressed them throughout the country as he and the church sought to finally end those end-time conspiracies. As France stabilized, apocalypticism declined among the masses and became the purview of mystics. For a long time, the history of the Millennial Panic was lost. Following 1871, French historians, with a renewed sense of rationalist fervor, dismissed millennial apocalypticism as a myth. This narrative dominated for a century as the sources for the millennial panic were few, and there were even fewer historians writing on it. Moreover, those surviving written sources are generally by elites who naturally dismissed apocalyptic fears as common superstition, heresy, and an affront to their own power. The people who believed in the coming apocalypse did not leave behind much written material. Most were illiterate or semi-literate. Those who could write had their works burned or they were otherwise lost to time. Not that many of them would spend much time writing on the apocalypse. After all, why leave a record when the world is about to end and no one will read your work? And afterwards, why write on the apocalypse that didn't happen? The only reason to write on the apocalypse would be if someone suspected the apocalypse was coming, but was not entirely convinced. A strict reading of the sources naturally led many historians to dismiss the idea of a millennial panic as fanciful, but recent historiography has recovered this lost chapter of history by reading between the lines. Landis and his colleagues critique the remaining written material, which is almost always critical of apocalyptic thinking. They hold that increased accusations of heresy and mysticism point to a real eschatological anxiety. While direct sources on apocalypticism are rare, the fact that we have them at all says something. Indirectly, there is far more material. I am inclined to believe that the millennial apocalypticism was a real, fairly widespread event. There are enough sources of fantastic events and fantastical descriptions of events to imply end-of-times beliefs. Additionally, this era coincided with a time of increased interest in chronology. Moreover, this period was filled with both anxiety and piety. 
anxiety because the 200-year Carolingian Empire collapsed, France fragmented, and it faced incredible violence from without and within. Piety because to combat this violence, lay people joined with local religious leaders to use Christianity to end violence in the Peace of God movement, which is the topic of the next episode. All of the necessary ingredients for apocalyptic fears were present, and a millennial panic probably did grip France from the 970s to the 1030s. But in 1032, the millennial anniversary of Jesus' crucifixion passed uneventfully. France had survived the apocalypse. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.